Um, I would like to tell you a story this morning. Uh, Luke's going to help me today uh, preach this morning. We're going to kind of co-preach. So are you excited about that? All right. It's going to be great. Then we're going to take some little time at the end, a little extended time uh, to put in practice what we're learning from the Word of God about worship. And so it's just going to be an incredible morning. But first, I want to tell you about an article I read this week online where a Florida man screamed for help ah, and then disappeared into a large sinkhole that opened underneath his bedroom. Real story, this happened, uh, I think, in 2013, and the bottom of his bedroom just fell right out. And this 37-year-old man was unfortunately actually presumed dead, cause of death, sinkhole in his bedroom. I mean, the oddest thing that could possibly happen, but in fact, the, the report said the dresser and the TV set had vanished down the hole along with most of the man's bed. There's a lot of things I worry about at night, guys, but this is not one of them, okay? <laughs> but apparently it's possible. The soil around his home was very soft, and the report said that the sinkhole was even expected to grow, and so neighbors began to put their houses up for sale, <laughs> and they began to look around where to move. Engineers said that uh, they would have to demolish the house, but ironically, the outside of the house, if you were to drive to that neighborhood at that time, it was a four-bedroom, concrete wall structure built in the 1970s. Nothing was wrong with it. The appearance of the outside of the house was strong, just completely concrete. Nothing was going to happen to it. But the thing about sinkholes is everything looks just fine. But then underneath, if things are, are out of order, it could be seconds from sheer destruction. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the sinkhole syndrome. And this happens sometimes to our souls too, doesn't it? This happens sometimes to our inner lives. It, it might be triggered by a failure at work or a severed relationship or harsh criticism. But all of a sudden, just in a minute, it feels like the whole earth has just given away of our lives. And, and we're just completely sunk. As human beings, we have two worlds to manage. We, we manage an outer world, right? A world, of, um, a world of career and possessions and social networks. An outer world, uh, the way we handle uh, what life throws at us, the decisions we make, the way we react to people that offend us, that is our outer world. But we also have an inner world, and that is our spiritual world. And, and some of ours are developed more than others. I, I'm thankful you're here today because even by coming to church today, you're developing your inner world. But every human being, the scripture says, has an inner world. Every human being has an inner self. And some people ignore it their whole lives. But some people choose to develop it. And that's our soul. It's our soul. Our soul is where values are selected. Our soul is where character is formed. Our soul is part of us that engages with God. Your soul is the thing that connects with God, and your soul is the thing that will live eternally. Your body isn't going to live forever. We, we heard the song during communion about a mansion on a hilltop because we're getting old. <laughs> but in that place, our soul will never, never grow old. Our soul will live eternally. And our soul is the place where we worship. Yes, sometimes you can worship uh, like, um, like, like that beautiful dance we saw physically, you know, with our bodies. Sometimes you can worship by raising your hands or being a dancing generation. You know, you can do those things. But ultimately, real true worship is the part of us that connects with God. It's the part that happens in our inner world. And I think great hymns of the past 
often said it best. They would remind us of this. Uh, Luke, what's a great hymn of the past that sounded a little bit like our soul? Then sings my soul. Sing along if you know it. My Savior God to thee. How great thou art. soul. Our soul sings to God, how great thou art. Our soul is the one that engages with God. We are created to connect and engage with God. Our lives are like a house. They can look fine on the outside. Even when we come here, even, even spiritually, we can look just fine, but we can become so vulnerable that the earth can just give way and we can be sucked into a sinkhole. But the way to firm up the foundation of our house, to firm up the sinkhole of our soul, is to worship. And not just show up and worship and like clap really good or sing, but to worship out of the inner parts of who we are, to worship out of our soul. So today, I want this word to remind you that you are responsible for the care of both your inner and your outer world. I'm not going to give you a pep talk on hygiene. That's what your mom's for. Okay, brush your teeth, you know, all those things. Take a shower. But your inner world, your inner world, you are responsible for it. No one else is. Not your mom, your dad, your spiritual mentor, your small group leader, your pastor. I'm not responsible for your inner world. But you are responsible for your inner world. No one can do it for you. And you must make the choice to worship. You must make the choice to increase your connection to God. You must do it. And so today, we're just going to take a few minutes to talk about some of the things that we can do to make that choice. And the first is to worship past feelings. Worship past feelings. Um, this week, my eight-year-old daughter was complaining about doing something that she didn't want to do. And so I, I, as good moms do, used it as a little platform, as a pep talk, right? And I said, well, Cecily, maturity means you do things you don't want to do. That's what maturity is, even when you don't feel like it. And that's pretty much your entire adult life, <laughs> is we are always, all the time, doing the things that we often don't feel like doing. Because adulting is difficult. I love all these uh, pictures you can show it up here that you see wafting around Pinterest. <laughs> you know, please don't make me adult today. Because adulting is all about doing the things that you don't want to do. Spiritual maturity is the same way. Spiritual maturity means that very little of what you do for God has to do with what you feel like doing. Very little of what you do spiritually has to do with what you feel like doing. Let's be honest. If we wait until we feel like it, we'll rarely get there. Because Netflix is always going to be a little bit easier than shutting it off and sitting down to pray. Getting up on Sunday morning to get here on time, because you don't want to miss a note of this worship, to get here right on time, is going to be difficult to do. But you cannot feel yourself into an action. Did you know that? You can't, like, you can't like sit there and muster up, okay, I'm just going to get ready. I'm going to feel excited. One, two, three. 
You know, what, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't come. But you can act yourself, and maybe the feeling might stir up. It might not stir up, but it might. And so you cannot act yourself into a feeling, but, you can, but if you act, that feeling may stir up. King David, one of the most famous worship leaders of all time, uh, in 2 Samuel, we see this story. David becomes king. And he has the Ark of God, which is a special symbol of God's presence to his people. And the Ark of God had been neglected for 20 years. So the king before him didn't even uh, pay attention to the Ark of God, but David had realized that the Ark of God, the presence of God, had been neglected. And the Ark had traveled with him through the wilderness as the Israelites were wandering. And it was a constant reminder of the commandments to be followed. And so neglecting it, actually neglecting the ark of God, was literally neglecting God himself. It was neglecting their inner life. They were very concerned about the outer life. They were whining and complaining when they didn't get the manna that God said he would send them. But they were not concerned about their inner life. So let's just be real for a minute. How many days have you neglected the priority of your inner life? How many weeks have you neglected the priority of your inner life? Maybe how many months? Maybe, just like the scripture, how many years have you neglected the priority of your inner life? Because it's easy to do. The Israelites were not focused on their inner life, and they were only concerned about their outer. And so when David is king, he says, okay, we're, we're doing this different now. And he retrieves the ark, and he brings it to the new capital of the heart of the nation, which is Jerusalem, and, and he's moving this ark for a purpose. He wants to welcome God back into the rightful position in the center of the nation's focus. In fact, he takes 30,000 men to go get the ark. He, he, he gets everything that's important. Hey guys, we're gonna go get this ark. Talk about a leader, because we're gonna go get God, because he's in that ark, and we're gonna bring him back and put him in the center of our community. And we're all gonna go do it so that you understand how important that this is. And he takes time to bring the ark into the city and he, he, he's careful to give God all the honor he deserves. He messes up at one point and a few people die because it's that serious of a, of a task. But he finally gets it. And in fact, it says in 2 Samuel 6, 13, that every six steps on the way to Jerusalem, he stops and sacrifices two animals. So every, can you imagine every six steps? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, where's the sacrifice? One, two, three, four, five, six. You might have gotten a little impatient there. But this was his point. God was and is that worthy of our time. He was and is that worthy of our focus. If God asked you to stop every six steps and give him glory, would you do it? Because God's worthy of that time. God's worthy of that focus. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken those six steps, they would stop and they would sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf and they would say, God, you're worthy of my praise. And so I've often think very practically what happens when you walk into worship after you failed a test or uh, fought with your mom or maybe you got rear-ended, or, or what happens when you don't feel very close to God, or you're tired, or you're moody? That never happens to any woman, all right? <laughs> what happens? What happens when you don't feel very close to God? Some people think you're being a hypocrite if you yell at your kids on the way to church, and then you get down front to worship. Let me tell you what, that's not hypocrisy. 
That's a healthy understanding of who deserves the worship. That's a healthy understanding. Some people think if you're, if you're, if you're sinning, if you're having a difficult, a difficult time with something, maybe you've sinned and you've repented, but you still did it this week, that somehow you're not worthy to come up here. No, no, that's not hypocrisy. That's a healthy understanding of who we're here to worship. And it's not about us at all. In fact, the beauty of worship, the fact that it can be so pure, the fact that it can be so exuberant, the fact that we can feel so excited about it is the fact that it's not about us. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about our frame of mind. It solely relies on the fact that God is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to have the rightful position in the center of our lives. He is worthy to stop every six steps and offer sacrifices to him. And he is worthy of our action every day, every minute. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you and absolutely nothing to do with me. Because when it comes to worship, God is worthy of those things. So here's, here's kind of the key word, and then we're going to take a minute and, and, and again sort of interact. Luke's going to lead us a little bit, so prepare your hearts for that. But the key word, I think, when it comes to worship is this, respond. Okay, so look at the verse next to you and say respond. And that way, in case they're sleeping, you pop them out of Respond. Here, here's the idea. There's no right, there's no wrong way. Just respond to what God is doing. Respond to what God has done. Respond to what he will do, whatever that means for you. But here's the wrong way to do worship, to disconnect. The wrong way to do worship is just to disconnect. The right way is to engage your soul and respond to God. And that comes out different in everyone. I can't, I can't sing and praise the way Luke did a, a, a few minutes ago. I can't, I, I can't sing Hilltop on a mansion the way that, that they just killed it. But I can respond to God in my own way. I can say things out loud that are in my heart. I can even say, God, I don't even know how to do this. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know what to say to you right now, but I'm responding to God. I'm not acting like he's not even in the room. I'm engaging with who he is. So we do this thing um, kind of in between songs often or in the middle of songs as the, as the worship team feels led. We do it almost every week and And a term has been coined for it called free worship. But really, all it is, is responding to God. And it's that moment, we're not not giving you the words, you're not following along, but you're singing what's in your heart, you're you're raising your hands, you're singing out, you're, you're praying in tongues, you're responding with the words that God is giving you. You're engaging, you're not disconnecting. And so we thought this morning, we would just take a minute and do that. We would just take a minute and Luke's gonna lead us in the way that he would lead you, in the way that he would respond and ask you to just engage. Don't disconnect right here.
It's in this presence that we sit. It's in this presence that we continue our message today. God, we thank you that you'll respond to us when we respond to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we can worship past our feelings. We can worship past form. Now let me tell you, spiritual maturity doesn't get caught up on the vessel things come in. Let me say that again. Spiritual maturity doesn't get caught up on the vessel things come in. They find the truth, and they receive it in their heart. Spiritual maturity looks past form and function and goes straight to purpose. So if there is truth to be found in a display of worship, a true worshiper will find it and receive it despite its form. John 4.23 talks about worshipers. It says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
And so here's the real practical application of that verse. Earlier in the service, you heard Luke and the team sing some great contemporary songs. They're going to sing some more in a minute. Then we had a a beautiful expression of dance. Then a a wonderful group called the Impact Singers just blessed us with a song, just made my heart leap. And then we had communion. And all of these forms were very different. And some of you identified easier with one or the other. Some of you heard that song the Impact Singers sang and thought, I used to listen to that. Some of you uh, listened to the song um, that they first sang, the Kyle students, and thought, we sing that every week, and we dance all around and scream and yell. Can I do that here? You know? And they kind of had those moments. I always tell them, yes, 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 you can. Some of you prefer it louder. Some of you prefer it quieter. Some of you will listen to the Gaithers on the way home. Some of you like Bethel or Hillsong or free worship. You could do that all day long. Some of you felt really awkward the last few minutes. All right, I know. But some of you like to sing a chorus just once. Some of you like to beat that chorus until it is blue in the face, all right? And you just like to sing it over and over until it really gets inside of you. Listen, here's the deal. That's all okay. But spiritual maturity shows up to worship. If there's truth in the worship, they receive it as a seed of faith in their soul, and they connect with God, period. That's what spiritual maturity does. So whether it's the impact singers or it's the, uh, the contemporary worship or it's free worship or it's this or it's faster, it's slow or it's louder, it's quiet, a spiritual mature person shows up to worship. And a true mark of a spiritually mature worshiper is one who can receive the truth, the Holy Spirit and any vessel that it comes in. And you know what's so beautiful about that? This is just so beautiful. It takes all the pressure off the band. It takes all the pressure off the pastor. (laughs) It takes all the pressure off of the performance because if there is truth in it, then a true worshiper will take that truth, plant it deep inside their soul, connect with God, and move forward. And you know what's beautiful about it for you is it allows you to receive from God anywhere, any place, anytime, through anybody because you are just ready And it doesn't matter what the vessel is. It just matters that you are ready to receive the truth. Now, you need to discern what the truth is and what is not. But as you do that, you can receive it from anybody. So, Luke, let me just ask you a question here. As a worship leader, what is the one thing that you would want the church family to remember, like, as they're driving here on Sunday morning? What is one thing you want them to know? Um, I think the biggest thing that myself, uh, my wife, and the team has really really tried to learn ourselves um, is that worship isn't about us. Um, and you, you, you said that earlier, but, but worship has always been about God um, from the very beginning of creation. Um, worship was never a thing that we did for ourselves. Um, it was always for God. We benefit from it. We can benefit greatly from it um, because it's God's presence. And he, when he comes in our hearts and our souls and in this room, he changes lives. But, um, but that's not why we do it. Um, and it's also not about talent. I mean, it's, we're not doing it to, to show off what we have. We're simply up here realizing, and the team's realizing that these gifts that we've been given are from God, and therefore we need to give it back to him through mm-hmm. worship um, and to his church. Um, and also that, that music can't be the God that we worship. Um, mm-hmm. It's really big for me personally because I've been in music um, my whole life, um, and I love it. I love all different styles of music. Um, 
but when our first focus is music and our second fo- focus is God, we'll never get to God because we'll, we'll be jammed up in music all day. Um, through, we, you, can never, you can never get out of music if you get there first mm. um, because there's so many styles and, and there's just so many opinions. Um, and, and God's gifted everybody with different things. Um, but it, it's not about the music. God needs to be first because then we won't care about what else, what else comes. God, God will change our lives and, and um, we won't care about anything else. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Isn't that great to hear Luke's heart? Um, yes. So, um, so that doesn't mean you can't ever suggest a song. You just can't get cranky if he doesn't play it. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying. All right, so here's the last part, and then we're going to worship together. And I, I want to tell you what, this, this part get, got me so excited. I, I couldn't wait to come here this morning and tell you this part of God's word, because I was so excited when I read it. Uh, worship builds family. Worship builds family. So I want, you, I want us to look at 1 Peter 2, uh, 4 through 5. It says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter calls Jesus, that's who he's talking about, the living stone, not the rolling stone, the living stone, because of some Old Testament prophecies. And then he says in verse four that we are like Jesus. We are living stones shaped into a spiritual house. And so when you come into contact through worship with a living stone, Jesus, it makes you alive. It makes you living because you're coming into contact with the living stone. And the master architect fits you into his plan. And his plan is to build a spiritual house. His plan is to build a spiritual house to build a strong family. Look at that. Our theme is in the scripture. How about that? Christ is the builder here. He builds individual Christians into a spiritual house. And it's spiritual because it holds the Holy Spirit. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, it's like the Ark of the Covenant that David carried across the countryside, trying to honor it, trying to hold the presence of God perfectly in the middle, trying to say we won't neglect the presence of God anymore. We will stop every six steps if that's what it takes because the presence of God will be our focus, will be the center of us. We don't need a big gold-covered wooden chest anymore that the Ark of the Covenant came in. We are the spiritual house of God that houses the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because we do that, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it so simply, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? So in us, as we worship, as the living stones, we become a New Testament Ark of the Covenant. We become the very thing that David carried across the countryside to preserve the spiritual presence of God. We become the house, the spiritual house of God. And so what we're seeing here is that Christ will gather his people. He'll make a temple, a church, an eternal dwelling place for the spirit of God. And I love verse 9. It says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
So not only are we living stones being built into a spiritual house, building a strong family for God's habitation, but we also are a holy priesthood. So in other words, we're not uh, merely passively building where God dwells. We are also active participants in worship. We are a special kind of participant. We are the priests. So the scripture is using this old example of the Old Testament and bringing it to the New Testament, saying this is how you should work on it now. This is how this applies to your context, that we are the priests, all of us. We, all of us. The teachers in the room, the mechanics, the retirees, the students, the moms, the realtors, the accountants, the grandpas, any of you, all of you are priests of this new spiritual house, and our privilege now as a priest is to draw near to God with spiritual sacrifices. The priests brought the sacrifices into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but now the tabernacle is replaced with the church, the altar is replaced with Jesus and his shed blood, and the priests are replaced by you. The priests are replaced by you, those who believe in Christ. And so verse 5 says, the priests, you and me, should offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is a charge, this is a challenge for Erie First Assembly this morning. Is our, our sacrifices spiritual? Do we sing in the power of the Spirit? Do, we, do the instrumentalists play instruments in the power of the Spirit? Do we preach in reliance on the power of the Spirit? Is our worship spiritual? Because the scripture says if it's not, then it's not acceptable to God. But if it is, he'll accept it. Not because it's perfect, not because it's on pitch, not because it's, it's perfect in form and function. It never will be, but because it comes through Jesus. Because it comes through Jesus Christ. And spiritual sacrifices are sacrifices that flow only from a heart devoted to his power, devoted to his word, devoted to his glory. And that is the kind of worship that God accepts. The kind of worship that goes past feelings, the kind of worship that goes past form, and the kind of worship that builds family. We are being filled, fitted together as a temple, as a dwelling place of God. And there is presence and power and manifestation of the Spirit of God meant to be known in this gathering of worship that we won't know any other time in isolation. Yes, you should be worshiping into your CD in your car on Peach Street. That might help you get less angry. All right, but yes, yes, you should be worshiping in your bathroom in the morning when you get up to get dressed. Yes, you should be worshiping with your family and, and any time that you can. But let me tell you this. Worship is personal, but it is not private. Worship is personal, but it is not private. God designed us to worship together, and that's why watching church online and not coming in is so dangerous. Because yeah, you can totally hear the word of God and you can, you can listen to it, but if you never get to a community of people, if you never plug in with other people worshiping, you are missing out on this blessing. You're missing out on being part of the spiritual house of God that he is building. I think often the error we make in corporate worship is we, we feel like it needs to be really private, like our blinders are on, our eyes are closed, don't look at the girl jumping, don't look at the girl jumping. You know what I mean? Like we have sort of this, we can't, okay, we can't look at anyone, people will think I'm not very spiritual if I'm looking around, uh, I have to think about my own things, but that's not what God intended. In fact, you know what God intended? Is that when I watch some of you worship and I know the depth of your struggle, 
that that spurs me to worship. That, that when I can look at some of you and know the intense situations that, that you are dealing with, and I can praise God because you're praising God, that I can look at you and say, I am just so thankful that that person is here, or I know that three or four of us have been praying for someone, and they're walking in the door, and you're watching them tap their foot a little bit, and you get excited that they are engaging in the presence of God. It's okay to look around. We are not isolated living stones. We are stones that are meant to fit together as a spiritual house called Erie First Assembly into a collection of individuals that the Spirit of God dwells in, and he's here. Worship builds strong families. Worship builds strong churches. And worship builds our inner life. We cannot neglect it anymore. Worship builds it. And so, would you stand with me? The spiritual house of God. Would you sing this song with me?
Wow.